Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions, For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Last week, we dealt in some detail with verses 26 and 27 as part of our ongoing exposition of the book of Romans, man's deep, dark descent into sin. But I wanted to come back this week and uh, next week to the topic of homosexuality. I realize that a discussion of this nature raises strong feelings among people. For some who have been affected by it, it's very painful. For others, it invokes anger, particularly as they are offended by the the radical, in-your-face political movement of the the, uh, homosexual activist community. For others, it may produce fear and confusion particularly among the uninformed. So what I want to do this week and next is to raise and answer a series of questions that maybe are in your mind. Maybe you've heard similar kinds of questions. I sat down this week with a tablet of paper and I just started jotting down questions. And as I jotted those questions down, I had quite a number, several pages full of questions. And I boiled them all down to eight. So this morning, we will raise and answer, it won't get to eight, but we will raise and begin to answer eight questions regarding the sin of homosexuality so that we might both think biblically with regard to this important topic 
and might be able to offer a godly hope and counsel to those who are gripped by its power. Let's uh, look at this first question together. I have them for you on your handouts. This is a little bit different format than we're currently used to. This is not going to be an exposition of passages of Scripture. I'm going to need you to think and reason with me, drawing from the Scriptures and that which we know from the Scriptures and then reasoning to the answers to some of these questions. The first question that I want to raise and address with you is was biblical homosexuality unnatural and is modern day homosexuality natural? One of the basic arguments that is advanced today amongst homosexual activists is the charge that the Bible, although it always declares homosexuality to be a sin, they were speaking about a different kind of homosexuality than what we observe today. That is, they were talking about a cultic male prostitution, or they were speaking of those that were heterosexual by orientation but were practicing homosexuality. That was what the Bible writers would call unnatural sin. That's the way the argument goes. But for those today who are living in a loved, committed, homosexual relationship, That is not unnatural, they would say. That is a natural relationship because that is their orientation. And so the Bible prohibitions, they would say, don't apply to them. The biblical texts just don't apply. What do you think about that? Are people born with a homosexual orientation? As many claim today? Is that true? I mean, it seems like homosexuals have no choice in the matter. Experts say that they are born with this orientation, both those outside the church and some inside the church. Some say that it's natural. It's like being left-handed. Born that way. It's a common assertion That homosexuality is not something people do. It is who they are. It is an identity. Nobody chooses their identity. Nobody chooses their ethnicity, right? You're born the way you're born. You may be Anglo. You may be Hispanic. You may be African American. You didn't choose that. You were born that way. That's how you are. That's your your identity. And so there are a growing number of voices today who are saying that within the issue of sexual orientation, that's the way you're born. It's your identity. That's how you are. Well, there are some problems with that kind of view. Really, three of them. The first problem with the idea that modern day homosexuality is a natural phenomenon, it's an orientation, it's an identity, is that if we accept this premise, we will then subtly encourage people to look for loopholes in the biblical text to justify their behavior. For the text is plain. Last week I spent a fair amount of time talking about 
the difference between natural and unnatural within the context of Romans 1. I'm not going to replow that ground. If you are not here, you can download it online at the website. You can get a CD. You can go through that yourselves. But if, if we accept this idea of a homosexual orientation, an identity, something like left-handedness or something like ethnicity, then what we will do within the church is we will begin to subtly encourage people to look for loopholes because the biblical text is very strong. It's very strong in the Old Testament and it's very strong in the New Testament. I mean, after all, if, if that's the way God made people, then how can God hold anyone accountable for the way that He made them? That's the way the reasoning will go. Eventually, what will happen is the biblical text will become redefined to fit the prevailing opinion of the day. What will happen is human reason will sit in judgment upon the Word of God and it will now determine the validity of the Word of God. You can see this illustrated very clearly in the whole issue of evolution. Once evolution became an accepted dogma, biblical texts are now redefined in order to fit into the evolutionary Mindset. The same thing will happen here and is already happening. Second problem with the idea of a, a natural homosexuality, a homosexual identity, is that if we accept this as an orientation while prohibiting its behavior, the exercise of that orientation then the best we can do for somebody who is struggling with the sin is to say, look, but don't touch. Look, but don't touch. And that kind of counsel will never help anyone to root out the sin at the depth of their own imaginations, which is what needs to happen. Eventually, it will lead people to frustration and anger with God. God made me like this, and yet He prohibits the exercise of how He made me. What kind of God is that? Third problem with this view of an orientation is it does not rest on any biblical data, nor does it rest on any medical research. There is no biblical data, nor are there any, or is there any medical research. It is a political position. That is important to understand. It is a political position that is rooted in personal experience and is promoted for the purpose of gaining economic and social rights. That's huge. It has been a position that has been staked out for political purposes. Second question. Are people born homosexual? These questions are, they kind of flow into each other. So, second question I want to raise for you is, are people born homosexual? Is that how people are really born? There is a misguided notion, and it is now moving into, as I say, the Christian community, and it is espoused by some Christian counselors, that homosexuality is a condition based on genetics or chemical predisposition, for which a person can do nothing more than learn to accept it as part of who they are. 
counselors, some counselors now tell people that are struggling with this sin that all they need to confess is the practice of homosexuality and receive forgiveness. They're told by others that if they refrain from the outward deed, then they are fine. Just don't do it. Beloved, that's what the Pharisees taught. That is exactly what the Pharisees taught. Jesus said if a man even looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's what? An adulterer. The problem resides deeper than just the outward manifestation of a particular behavior. God never divides behavior from condition. Write that down. God never divides behavior from condition. With regard to this sin, both the condition and the behavior are unnatural and grievously sinful. Maybe I should insert right here That as we work through these questions, there is application along the way. I, I'm not going to make all these applications for you. I'm going to rely on you to make a number of them yourselves. For the vast majority of you, statistically, I can, can know with certainty that you do not struggle with this temptation. But that doesn't mean you tune it out. Because you struggle somewhere along the list of Romans 1. It's there in you too. And so what we talk about here has application. You pick your poison. Okay? Now let's continue with this question about being born this way. The most commonly known study into the possible biological causes of homosexuality is a 1991 study by Dr. Simon LeVay. Dr. Simon LeVay. He conducted brain evaluations on 35 male cadavers who died from AIDS. 19 of them were known to be homosexual. 16 were presumed to be heterosexual. 19 known to be homosexual. 16 presumed or homosexual. 16 presumed to be heterosexual. All died of AIDS. The results of his study suggest that the heterosexual men had more brain cells in a certain area of the brain known as INAH3. That probably means a lot to uh, you, but it's a portion of the hypothalamus. Okay, and I'm already now at the uppermost limits of what I know about human brain function. It is a I did look this up. It is a portion of the hypothalamus that supposedly influences sexual activity. This study has been widely quoted as proving that homosexuality is biologically caused. If you have read an article, if you've seen something on the internet, you've been told perhaps that there is a biological cause, no doubt it is rooted in this, excuse me, in this study, in the results of this study. But there are problems with this study, and they are numerous. For example, the, uh, the result of the research to date is uncooperated, which means no one else has ever been able to repeat the results found in this study since 1991. 
Secondly, the sample size is statistically insignificant. 35 people is an insignificant sample. Third, AIDS may have confounded the results of the study. Possible. Fourth, the question still remains is did homosexual activity change the brain chemistry? The question is, did the change in the brain cause the activity or did the activity cause the change in the brain? Okay? No one knows. Finally, the brains of three homosexual men were indistinguishable from the heterosexual men in the study. So it's not 100% correlation even within this small study. So there are a lot of problems that, re- that are part of this study, which means that it cannot be stated with any kind of certainty. Even though it's picked up and repeated over and over again, there's news services. So to date, today, as of this day, there are, is no biological or genetic link between homosexuality that has been conclusively demonstrated. Okay? Regardless of what you hear, there are no conclusively demonstrated links. Now, given the consequences of the fall and its effect upon the human genetic structure, like disease, deterioration, death, all of these factors that spring from the fall have Uh, impacted the genetic structure of every one of us. So, knowing that, it would not be surprising if a link between genetics and constitutional sins were someday found. Okay, listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. Is that it would not surprise me at all if someday there were genetic linkage that could be conclusively proved. In fact, I would expect it will be found. I would expect it will be. Because the results of the fall upon the human body are profound. Profound. Think with me. We live our lives in a physical body. Yes? We should expect that body to some way represent biologically the intents of the heart the fallen, sinful intents of the heart, we should expect it to flow out through the body in which we live. So what if a biological explanation for homosexuality was to be found? What if next week they do find the linkage? Would that alter the biblical record? Would homosexuality still be a sin? Listen, biology is not destiny. Write that down. Biology is not destiny. Biology cannot make us sin. You can't get off the hook that easy. Right? Flip Wilson wanted to get off the hook. Right? We can't get off the hook that easily. At most, biology is analogous to a friend who tempts us to sin. Such a friend might be exceedingly bothersome, 
but he can be rebuked and he can be resisted. Same is true of our own biology. Okay? Our bodies can be rebuked and our bodies can be resisted. You know that to be true because that is the Christian life, is it not? Paul says that he does what? He buffets his body to make it his slave. Not buffets his body. Right? So it can be resisted. Our biology can be resisted. And in fact, it must be resisted for every single one of us. Whatever the biological urges that, are, that run contrary to the Word of God, they must be resisted. They must be. Third question. Are people influenced towards homosexuality? Are people influenced towards homosexuality? Frequently, homosexuals grew up in a home with one or more of the following circumstances. This is true. Things like parental irresponsibility, molestation, absence of proper biblical roles of husbands and wives, and either a total lack of religious upbringing or a very harsh, demanding, and even legalistic upbringing. There, there are these kinds of factors that run in commonality. So some who deny the biological factors, they substitute these environmental factors and say this is the cause of, hum of homosexuality. It is environmentally produced. There are connections. That cannot be denied. There are connections. But these factors are not in and of themselves the cause of homosexuality. Okay? There are connections in these kinds of environmental factors, but they are not the cause. Distortion of our sexuality is just one expression of our sinfulness. We are all capable of being tempted towards deviant sexual behavior. Every one of us. Every one of us. Many factors can influence a person toward homosexuality, but neither biology nor environmental factors can irre irresistibly compel a person to this sin. You get that? Lots of influences. Environmental influences we're sure of. Biological or genetic influences of which there is no current evidence but could be true. But neither one of those can irresistibly compel somebody in this direction. And that's huge. That's huge. Got a couple of charts here. Let's see if we can illustrate this whole point with a chart. First chart is these are common unbiblical conceptualizations of the development of the sin of homosexuality. All right? This is the sort of the unbiblical thinking that's out there outside the church and inside the church. Actually, I should say inside the church only because outside sin is not a part of it. But So inside the church. The primary cause over on the left of the screen there is said to be biology or, a, for example, a deficit in relationship with same-sex parent. You've heard that kind of thing, right? They're not a good relationship with their father, not a good relationship with their mother, whatever. Low self-esteem, all kinds of environmental, psychological 
even biological factors, are listed as the primary cause. And then sin is a secondary cause, the response to which is homosexual behavior. That's a common notion and gaining traction within the evangelical church. But it's not biblical. It's not biblical. This chart is the biblical reality for this sin, as well as all others. The biblical development of homosexuality. First, on the left, is the primary cause. The primary cause is not biology. The primary cause is not psychology. The primary cause is not environmental factors. The primary cause is what? It is a sinful heart. It is a sinful heart. If you don't get anything out of Romans 1, in however many months it takes me to get through this chapter, get that. That the root of all evil lies within your wretched heart. The primary cause is a sinful heart. Secondary influences, such as genetics, Peers, family, sexual violation by an older person, molestation, all of those kinds of things that you've heard of, read about, whatever, do factor in. There's no question about that. They do factor in. Bringing about an ultimate response. But the huge difference between those two charts, right? First chart puts on the left-hand side those things for which you are not accountable as the origin. The Bible says that the things that is the origin of your sin is that for which you are accountable. Big difference. Let me try to illustrate it for you. A person whose sinful heart has been influenced by unjust treatment, perhaps visual violence and poor parenting, may act out their anger by murder. May kill somebody. Violent, angry people. But none of these factors removes their personal responsibility for the thoughts and intentions of their heart. Isn't that true? The ultimate cause of sin is always and forevermore your sinful heart. Your sinful heart. Beloved, that's why you need a Savior. That is why. That is why you cannot save yourself. That is why you cannot reform yourself. That is why you cannot gain victory over sin by yourself. For the source of the fountain is polluted. It is your heart. And so out of it will flow nothing but crud. You need a Savior. You need someone who will change your heart because you can't do it. You need someone who will change it and you need someone who will atone for the wickedness that flows out of it. You understand that? You need a Savior. Paul's exposition of Romans 1, the exposition of the, of the fall of humanity here, is only to demonstrate the necessity of a Savior. He says that in verse 17, it is the righteousness from God that is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. 
They will become righteous by His faith. Why? Because there is no righteousness within Him. It has to be external to Him. Fourth question. Do people make a conscious choice to pursue homosexuality? Do they make a conscious choice? The answer is yes and no. Yes and no. The nature of sin is that people sin because they want to. It comes from our desires. Let no one say when he is tempted, James 1, 13 following, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Nobody is dragged into sin kicking and screaming, dragging their heels, fingernail marks along the floor. Okay, That's not how you go into sin. Homosexuality has existed ever since ancient times for one reason. Because people enjoy it. Because people enjoy it. They are drawn to it because of their sinful hearts. That's what Jesus says, right? Mark 7, verses 21 to 23. Out of the heart flow all of those things. You do what you do because you like it. You like it. But we must also not confuse the difference between moral responsibility and moral choice. We are all responsible for our moral choices, including our sexual orientation, but that does not mean we freely and consciously choose our lusts. We do not make conscious and free choices of our lusts. That's why I say it's a yes and no answer. We don't choose our lusts, but we are responsible for them and what we do with them. Does a child sit down and one day decide that they are going to throw a temper tantrum? Is that how it works? They sit down at the table and they weigh the uh, possibilities. Say, yeah, I think that would be a good thing to do. Tomorrow, temper tantrum. Is that how it happens? No. Not at all. Do they consciously decide to lust for control, which is what a temper tantrum is all about? No. No, they don't. Did you rationally evaluate the various temptations that are available and then make a conscious decision to choose a particular one through which you would express the lust of your heart? Is that how it worked for you? Not a chance. Not a chance. We don't choose our lusts. We sin against homosexuals by insisting that sexual temptation and attraction are predominantly chosen. Listen to me. It is a sin against them as a people to say that their temptation and their attraction are predominantly chosen. They did not sit down and make a conscious choice, just like you don't. To that which you are drawn with your lust, you did not consciously choose that. They did not consciously choose where they're drawn either. 
Nevertheless, nevertheless, we are absolutely responsible for what we do with sinful temptations. We are absolutely responsible for what we do with it, even though we didn't choose it. That's why I say it's a yes and no answer. Yes, responsible to act out on it. No, not responsible for the lust that lies within, in the sense that they didn't choose it. Where do homosexual desires come from? Why do they feel natural for some people? Why does it feel natural for some people? The biblical answer is is that like many sins, homosexuality does not have to be learned. It is an instinction, an instinctive behavior of the human heart. It's not a learned behavior. Just like a young child doesn't have to be taught to lie, right? How many parents sit down with their one-year-old and they say, today's lesson is on how to lie. Okay? Nobody does that. Yet all children lie. All of them. It's instinctive. It's within them. It is the lust that flows from their fallen hearts. Homosexuality is a natural sin in the same way that anger or selfishness is a natural sin to the fallen creature. Okay? So there is a natural aspect to it in the sense that all sin is natural to us. It's what we do. In, lust is embedded in our fallen humanness. Okay, I can't say that enough. Lust is embedded in your fallen humanness. It's within you. You carry it around. When you have children, you pass it on. Part of what it means to be fallen. The fact that most homosexuals don't remember consciously choosing this particular sin is explained by the fact that most sin works at an unseen level where we do not consciously choose it. Okay? That's the way sin, most sin works. Sin is much more than a mature, rational, conscious choice. Much more than that. It is, a, it is our moral inclination from conception. It is our moral inclination. It's the, it's the way we're bent. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is what? Deceitful. And above all else, Desperately sick or wicked, whatever you like. Who can understand it? It's a deceitful heart. We need God's righteousness by faith. Why? Because we don't have any on our own. We don't have any. Six, is homosexual desire sinful 
or only the behavior? I think by now you can probably answer this question, right? Is it the desire that is sinful or is it only the behavior? To set up a distinction, an artificial distinction between homosexual practice and justifiable homosexual orientation, it contradicts Scripture's clear connection between desire, orientation, and, and deed. Okay? The Bible puts them all together. If a deed is prohibited in Scripture, so is the accompanying desire to do it. You got that? If God prohibits a certain behavior, He prohibits the desire for that behavior. The condition, the biological urges, and the behavior, that is the thoughts, the longings, and the actions, when homosexually oriented, are in rebellion against God's plan and order. Okay? That's the answer to that question. I'm going to pause here. I'm not going to take up these last two. We will take those up next week. They're longer and more involved. Let me just say this. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Prior to verse 11, verses 9 and 10, he lays out a litany of deviant behaviors. And he says in no uncertain terms that those who practice such things do not be deceived, do not be fooled, will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's very clear. Very clear. Do not be deceived. How could you be deceived? Why, could you, why would you be deceived? Because there are some who will protest and say, but I am a Christian yet live in a certain lifestyle. Paul says, do not be deceived. Those that practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what they say with their mouth. Okay? The reality of their life speaks louder. But he also, in verse 11, speaking to the church at Corinth, gives what is the most helpful and hopeful statement, I think, in the New Testament. He says, such were some of you. Perfect tense verb, by the way. Were. That is, that was your ongoing nature of life. Your ongoing condition. Such were you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. That is, set apart. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. I guess I've kind of answered question seven in a short way, haven't I? Can you have victory? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. In the same way that others have victory over their sin, too. It's not hard, or it's not easy. It's hard. Possible. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have not been washed, 
If you have not been sanctified, that is set apart for Him. If you have not been justified, that is declared not guilty in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you remain under the condemnation of God. You need a Savior. You need a substitute. You need someone whose righteousness is perfect, unimpeachable. Someone who can stand in the presence of a holy God in your place. Can donate their righteousness to your account. You need someone who willingly will take your guilt upon themselves and suffer in your place. You need Christ. And He's available to you now. Right now, right here. If you will call out to Him in faith. If you will confess your bankruptcy. If you will call out to God and acknowledge before Him that you're lost. That you have no righteousness. That the wickedness of your soul does dominate you. Plead with Him for mercy. Believe the Lord Jesus Christ died in your place. Give up on your own self-efforts and by faith entrust the efforts of Christ. The Bible says you will be saved. You can do it right here, right now, right in your seat. There's no special formula. Talk to God. If you have questions, prayer needs, concerns, there'll be some folks over here in this back corner here. We don't have a lighted cross this morning to direct you to, but over in this back corner here, southeast corner, there'll be some folks who would be really pleased if they could pray with you. They could open the Word of God with you and answer your questions. They could clarify the path of salvation. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, You are the Redeemer of our soul. We confess, our Father, that we have no inherent righteousness. None of us. We confess, our Father, that one sin is not more damning than another. That all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us reside under the wrath of God. All of us deserve the lake of fire. And it is only those of us who have called out in faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ who have been rescued. So we have no moral superiority, our Father. We are but one bigger telling another beggar where to find the bread of life. May You humble our hearts in this place. May You cause us to long for Jesus Christ. May You grant us a measure of compassion and boldness as we speak to family and friends, even on this holiday weekend, to tell them about the way of salvation. And Lord, may You be merciful to open blind eyes to the truth. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.